And I spread a song so you can sing along With my special guest star or two You like to sing and dance And this podcast by chance Explores musicals for you Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me is a very special guest. She is a Smash super fan and is a New York City-based actress. It's my friend, Rebecca Edmonds. Woo! Thank you so, so much for having me. Thank you for responding to that <laughs> that cry I had of like, I need somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you come across Smash? Did you watch it originally? Did you? I'm trying to remember because it was back, you know, several years back now. Um, but I think I saw some sort of preview for it that Steven Spielberg was going to be producing this new show about all about the world of musical theater and Broadway musicals specifically. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to watch this. And I know it was something that my mom and I watched, like we would watch it together and then call each other, text each other after every episode because we were so excited about it. So we're going to just talk about season one in this very fir- in this first episode, and then we'll do season two next episode. So don't you worry about us conclude- not concluding it. Um, <laughs> so a little, little background uh smash the first season it was uh yes it was produced by steven spielberg but actually it was created by a woman named Teresa raybrack i'm assuming i'm bad at at names Uh, (laughs) that that's a running theme on both this podcast uh, that will be on this podcast more than likely and then on my other one that i have um she's also the showrunner for the first season Mm -hmm. uh The series music is by Chris Bacon and then the music and lyrics for the song, uh, the bombshell songs are Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, who are Broadway legends. The first episode premiered February 6th, 2012. So that's, uh, okay, so it's 2021 right now. What is... (laughs) math me help me is that nine years uh, ago yeah nine years ago oh my ago. god and the series the season one finale happened uh may 14th 2012 so three months that's a little it's a little short for a season but i think with this show it was perfect <laughs> yeah and i think typically I would say the first season of any series tends to be shorter because they're kind of like testing it out to see if it'll do well um, before it'll get renewed for another season. Um, So that makes sense that it would have been a shorter run. So we're not going to like recap really like the Mm -hmm. recap each episode. We'll just do a, a general thing and then talk about our thoughts and feelings about a lot of this. Um, (laughs) Because there is a lot to cover. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so for those of you who don't remember season one, we, the audience, follow a new musical from conception to the out-of-town tryout from this world's famous, quote-unquote, writing duo, Julia Houston and Tom Levitt, 
played by Deborah Messing and Christian Borrell, respectively. Mm-hmm. And then there's a battle between who's going to play Marilyn Monroe. It's either Ivy Lynn, played by legend Megan Hilty, or and Karen Cartwright, Catherine McPhee from. She already did. She win American Idol. She did not win her season. Um, she was second runner-up, something like that. She came in second place. I was an American Idol person. Were you? Did you watch it? Yes. Yeah. How was she I, on that show? She was great on the show. I was, I was a fan of hers, and I pref- wanted her to win. As far as like when it came down to her and the the winner of her season, Taylor Hicks. Um, he was the guy with the gray hair who sang like a lot of soul music. Oh, I, I remember that name now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like Soul Patrol, like everybody, that was his big thing. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed her. I liked her voice a lot. Um, and she kind of had a that soft, like sweet personality that everybody sort of fell in love with, which I think she brings to the character of Karen, especially in the first season, like a, a sweet, like naive nature about her. Yeah, she's a little too sweet for my liking. <laughs> I don't I don't mean I know you're you like the show and I'm sorry if I'm going to shit on it, but I'm going to shit on it. <laughs> no, that's totally I mean, I love, you know, discourse and discussing it. So <laughs> But like, I'm not going to lie. This watching rewatch I recently rewatched the series and I mm-hmm. this that's the, the whole basis of this podcast. Where I was just like I just want to talk musicals with my friends and people I know and, you know, nerd out with them, uh, but obviously point out the rather obvious uh, <laughs> mistakes that some of them have made, like yes. putting uh, Megan Hilty against Kat- Catherine McPhee because, you know, Megan Hilty's going to win. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Because. <laughs> Car- All right, so Karen is supposed to be like this newcomer fresh off the bus from wherever, but not really because she's been in New York for a while. Is that? I think so. I think, yeah, she's supposed to be pretty green as far as maybe she's done some summer stock while she was in college. And after that, um, she's done a few professional contracts, but hasn't done Broadway yet my assumption would be that she has her equity card that she's a member of the union because she's auditioning for Broadway shows no I <laughs> don't think she has because I, I think it was an open call that she went to okay so they decided to do an open like a non-union and union call well like so, all together if you remember correctly the they first are auditioning for the um crap what's it called words are hard right now help me out oh, here for, for the reading for the reading yes okay <laughs> i know words <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're they're doing the reading so obviously you don't need to be anything for the reading besides mm-hmm. alive uh <laughs> now have you ever done a reading before um the only reading i've actually done recently i've done a couple like zoom readings which has been an interesting experience um but I've never done a reading of a new musical like live and in person. Okay. So the readings that you did, did you treat them like Megan Hilty's character where she's just like, I need to do this or I'm going to (laughs) die. 
Um, no, I mean, obviously at this point in time with COVID and everything, it's been just kind of good to still have an opportunity to perform in some in some sort of way. So I was taking it as that type of experience that it was like great to still be able to get to do what I love and um, learn how to do it in a new way on a, on a new medium that I'm not as used to. Yeah. Cause you know, when you do a reading, it, they, there are things in the show that they do depict as what really happens, but then obviously they have to, up it a little bit because it's TV and there's they need drama and all this and that. So like Absolutely. when you do a reading, it's you're lucky if you get a chair. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, which is kind of I don't know. I feel like readings in a sense a lot of the time specifically with certain writing teams, they're going to be casting a lot of their friends for these readings. Um maybe not I they still still would hold auditions for them for sure, but they're not necessarily always like this big thing. Like, you know, it's definitely going to go to Broadway. And so like, I have to get attached to it from the beginning because if I, if I don't, then I can't ever, I'm never going to do the show. And like, it's my dream to do this reading. Yeah. Cause like, um, they obviously are steamrolling months and years of what yes. happens when you get a new work. It's never like this. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say a majority, probably what, 99% of shows, it takes, you know, years of time. Oh, of multiple decades sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> there, there may be the one in a million but or billion probably, but like it's few and far between. And it's just so funny <laughs> the the rapid pace of this show where it's like well we have this idea that we're kind of toying with and then Alice fucking Alice by the way oh like, my gosh <laughs> the worst <laughs> he puts it on YouTube which you know things that okay <laughs> there are things in this show that do happen in real life like for example, if dead, the Deadpool teaser was not leaked on YouTube, the movie would never have been made. Mm. So, yes, it's interesting that in 2012 they were positing the power of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, years later, we'd see it more where the fans and things like that would be able to uh, get things happening but I don't think that would have happened with <laughs> with a, a staged reading. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a, it was a very interesting concept that they rolled with as far as, oh, he's going to post this video of this one song. And from there, they decide to make a full musical out of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they were just like, just toying with it, just touching it, just like, oh, maybe. But then they make a full musical in like three seconds. <laughs> right. It's so interesting too when they go into the reading and they they barely have any of it written. They maybe have like two songs at that point and they already mm-hmm. start rehearsing with a full cast. You're like, 
usually you would at least have a draft, at least one of the acts <laughs> written, you know, and then you would continue rewrites and adding things, removing things as the process goes along. But they were like, yeah, we don't have anything written at all. And we're going to start this reading. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that uh, because yesterday before recording this episode, um, I rewatched 42nd Street. Have you ever seen that show? I have. Yeah. They smash steals a lot from that show. If you think about it, mm. you've got the the diva and the green but talented actresses against each other you have a show that is allegedly being written as it goes along um and then the idea is to like put up the show finally so it i would i was just rewatching it i was just like oh my god this is smash like smash yeah. is this i should say <laughs> I shouldn't so say cool. that 42nd Street is smashed because otherwise they'd have to take my Broadway card away. <laughs> Did you know that this was based off of a book? I didn't actually. I knew Teresa Rebecca is she's a an author, so I knew she had written other things, but I not, didn't realize not her book. And she didn't write this. Okay. No. Well, she she was the creator and showrunner of mm-hmm. the, of the show. There's a book called Smash by Garson Kanan. It was published in 1980 and it's a product it's written as a production diary of a fictional musical called Shine On Harvest Moon from conception to out of town tryouts to eventually opening on Broadway. So that's where they t- not only took the name but they took kind of the basic premise and they were like, let's make a show out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so you cool. you mentioned earlier Steven Spielberg, you know, the big name attached to this. He was working on, again, he was working on this show from what I can read. It felt like a decade. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> talk about life imitating, uh, uh, life imitating art in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read that the original concept was that it was going to be an anthology series that follows new uh, shows coming to Broadway and Spielberg would eventually produce them to be real shows if they were quote stage worthy end quote. I read that off of Wikipedia. So again, so well, not again, take that with a grain of salt, (laughs) (laughs) but then there was Robert Greenblatt, who brought the idea to NBC when he became president of NBC Entertainment. And obviously the show happens. Mm -hmm. Did you also watch the show Glee? I did. Did you feel, because I definitely felt this after rewatching it, that they were like, we are not Glee. This is realism. This is reality. We're not saying that people can burst out into songs, even though they do in rehearsal sometimes yes I did feel like especially in this first season it was they were specifically trying to set themselves apart from Glee in a certain way where like you said it was going to be more realistic and this is what theater really is and how it actually happens in New York and again still having to 
create some sense of drama because it's a TV show. But yeah, it did feel like they were trying to be to show us this is what the real theater scene is like in New York. Or, or like, this is realism. Real, real, <laughs> real. We're not fake at all. Like that other show, Gerarg. But it was just, it was fascinating because like the way that they wrote things in season one, when they weren't in rehearsal, they had to be like, okay, we have to put in other songs, clearly. Mm-hmm. So like the one that comes to mind is when Catherine McPhee goes to her friend's baby shower. Yes. And I was just like, who has a baby shower at a bar where they sing karaoke? <laughs> exactly. It was like, where... What, what is this what, going on? <laughs> yeah. Why would you choose a bar for, exactly, for a baby shower? <laughs> the, the person you're celebrating can't even drink because she's fully pregnant. <laughs> like, <laughs> And then it's just like, oh, I'm not going to let this baby change my life. I go out and have fun with my girls. <laughs> it, 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 the, show, the show tried so hard, and you can tell, because they were... They last, uh, I mean, obviously it lasted two seasons, so mm-hmm. good for them that they got a second season. But <laughs> this season one, man, there were storylines and things like that that I was just like, whoa, I don't really care about this. I just want to see uh, tap dancing and glitter. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I feel like in a, there were certain storylines that I really liked and wish that they maybe would have expanded more on and then other storylines that I wanted them to sort of not even address um I actually did enjoy the affair between Julia and Michael Swift um mm-hmm. yes I thought that that was interesting and I kind of wanted more of that and less of the whole Eileen drama with her ex-husband. Angelica Houston? Come on. I love Angelica Houston. Don't get me wrong. She was high as a kite during this, and you can tell. (laughs) Um, But I think, yeah, there was some muddiness with her and the, the guy who was the bar owner that then ended up helping produce the show. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just didn't, I was like, either focus on that relationship or focus on the relationship with her ex-husband, but there's too much going on with her (laughs) storyline. And I was, I wanted more of, yeah, more of the Julia Michael conflict and where that all ended up. And then there was Ellis who was doing everything but twirling his mustache. (laughs) Um, And then fucking Ivy, like (laughs) they, they, made her so dramatic and i know i know we know this type of woman we've oh. we've worked with this type of woman before absolutely <laughs> uh i'm not naming names and neither should you rebecca but we separately we know this type of woman <laughs> or individual i should say cuz men can be like this too but to have her like want to be in the workshop for so long and or the re- and the stage reading and all that and then once it's done, she's like depressed and then she's she takes meds and she almost ODs and things like that. I'm just like, what are you doing to this poor character? Like, 
just let her belt her face off. Yes, I did. And I am such a huge, huge Megan Hilty fan. Um, but yeah, I, there was something weird about the show where they, obviously they wanted you to not like that character, but she herself is so charming and so talented that you, at least for me, I loved Ivy and I rooted for her the whole time. But then, yeah, she does make some stupid mistakes that you're just like, why? You've been in this business for how long? You know that this is how it goes sometimes. And yes, it is disappointing and upsetting, but don't turn to drugs over it. It's going to be okay. (laughs) And then they throw in Bernadette Peters and you're just like, everything's right with the world. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That was the perfect casting choice to make her her mother. I just, that's brilliant to me. I mean, if it wasn't her, would you have accepted Patty? Patty LuPone. I, I could have accepted Patty LuPone, yes. I think she also would have played that type of character very well. But I I love, I love Bernadette. I She's everything to me. That was my first Broadway show was seeing her uh, as Mama Rose and Gypsy. And so I will always just worship the ground that she walks on. Such a perfect role for especially talking about the show. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, let's talk about the songs then a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I didn't write down how many songs because there's a, a, a crap ton. So many. But you have a mix of pop, uh, I don't want to say pop songs because they're not all pop, like pop music, but like popular songs, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, the Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman songs for Bombshell, where Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman wrote the music for Hairspray. Am I right in saying that? Yes, they did. Great. I could keep my Broadway card then, yes. <laughs> But uh, these songs actually did feel like they were ready for, obviously they felt like they were ready for a stage show of some kind. Uh, Like, Let Me Be Your Star, come on. Oh, yeah. I could sing that song. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of those ones that, I mean, there's multiple songs from this series that every girl as soon as it came out was like I'm putting that in my audition book and I I was guilty of that as well um oh no not not this song not let me be your star but uh I think from it might have been from season two um we'll we'll get to that that we'll get to that next week yes but yeah, there was a there were a few songs that I was just like, all right, I forgot that this one bopped. Like Yes. Um uh, and so many as I was going through, I was like, oh yeah, I loved this. I loved this. I loved this. <laughs> There's just so many great songs that they wrote for this show. Now, did you as a New York actor mm-hmm. and all that, did you laugh a little when uh that one character was introduced uh, in the Bruno Mars musical? oh yes (laughs) yeah yeah where he sings grenade and it's all powerful i'm just like they're making fun of american idiot clearly (laughs) yeah i was like okay okay i know what this is uh referencing we get it it. yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i was 
ah, but I was rewatching it and I was just like, yep, you guys, this still gets me. This still tickles me because <laughs> there are clearly shows that are doing, that have done that and are doing that. Uh, or they're like, let's make a more Broadway-esque Rock of Ages. I'm looking at you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that like, we're doing a pop musical, but we still sound very musical theatery when we sing it. We're still Broadway. Yes. <laughs> Talking with you now about it, I'm still black blacking out the real world songs and I have all the Palm Shell songs stuck in my head. I know, I think, well, they obviously she sings Christina Aguilera's Beautiful for her audition. Oh, yes. Her first, her initial audition for Marilyn, which is such an interesting choice. <laughs> um, Karen sings that, but I think her version of it is beautiful. I don't know that I would necessarily walk into an audition for Marilyn Monroe singing Christina Aguilera, but it was a choice that obviously got her noticed <laughs> in the room. <laughs> um you and I and sure as shit I bought all the music on iTunes because of oh, that yes. person even though there is sometimes I'm watching the show and I'm yelling at it going that's not realism <laughs> where they were like tomorrow we're doing the out of town tryouts and they've they ha- don't have the, sh- the the show finished they don't have a full cast clearly uh, I'm just like that's not real. Yes, yeah. I mean, the timeline—it's so and obviously it, because again, it's TV. It has to be accelerated a bit. But I also wonder maybe if they had spread it out a little bit, what they could have expanded on with some of, more of the characters and the book writing um, of the show. I don't know whether yeah. that would have been successful or not. I also didn't really, so you said that you liked Julia's storyline. Yes. I didn't like her son, personally. <laughs> like, yeah. That actor, well, the way that that actor portrayed it, because I feel, I feel like they wrote him to be younger than he was. Yes, I agree. And I was just like, guys, just cast a five-year-old, it'll be fine, whatever. Cast right, a 10-year-old, not a 16-year-old saying these lines. <laughs> but they had that, was that in this season? I'm like getting all mixed up now where they had the, where he gets uh, arrested um, for smoking pot in the park or something with, with his friends. I don't remember, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a whole storyline where he's like out in Central Park with a group of his friends and he, they're smoking weed. Um, but he apparently he was not smoking he was just with them but they all the group gets arrested and um he has tom he calls tom for his phone call instead of calling his mom or dad and tom comes and bails him out of jail picks him up and brings him home but so it's like they wrote certain storylines that were like okay he's a teenager he's in high school this makes sense but then other parts of the character were written very young that I was like why is he saying things like this I'm so confused right. where it's like you're obviously 16 years old you know like you should have a brain unless he's smoking the dope <laughs> smoking the ganja <sighs> smoking the ganja 
<laughs> and then with Tom also, we have the unsexual homosexual in the show. Yes. Because gays don't have sex. Mm-hmm. What? We can't. It's it's inappropriate. We can't see it. It's inappropriate. We're not allowed to see it. <laughs> God forbid that they have a relationship or something with somebody. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's like taboo to even see two men kissing on screen let alone like talk about a relationship this is way after will and grace did it so it's fine yeah yeah fine it's fine it's fine fine. (laughs) did you believe deborah messing as a a songwriter speaking of will and grace (laughs) yeah yeah i did i actually that was another thing that i did really enjoy about um i mean I enjoyed a lot of the show. Obviously, I'm a big fan of it. But that was one of the things that was successful to me was their relationship. And they did actually, um, Julia and Tom felt like they had been working together for a long time. They felt like they were a real songwriting team. Yeah, I, I, I bought it. She, correct me if I'm wrong, she wrote the book? She was the yeah, book writer. So she's the book writer and lyricist. And he writes the music. Now, for my brain, and for those people who don't know it, a lyricist, do they only write the lyrics, or do they also have to write the melody, the the music that goes with it? Like, you know, saying, I am a lyricist right now, like those notes that go with it. Do they write that, or is that like a uh, combo combination with the music, the music? writer composer yeah I would say I mean it's probably different in every writing team if you are a team of two writers but she probably at least from what it seemed like in this show she was mostly just in charge of writing the words Tom Tom would write the the melody and orchestrate it and she would write the words um but it also seemed like there was a collaborative bit to it where they would kind of riff off of each other and maybe he she would come up with a line of words and he would write a melody for it or vice versa he would come up with the melody first and then she would write the lines so yeah it didn't seem like oh I'm writing I write this full musical piece and then you'd come up with the words for it it seemed like they were doing it together yeah it was okay so now I buy that more I buy him more because Obviously, Christian Borle, I hope I'm saying his last name right, um, is a Broadway actor and all that, and um, famously in Something Rotten, so he can, he's a song and dance man himself, so I believe him as always behind a piano, (laughs) or in, uh, if this character, or even Christian Borle himself, uh, like today is probably on the piano app if he doesn't have a piano, <laughs> mm-hmm. just like tinkering. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just like sitting there, you know, touching the little keys on your screen. <laughs> uh, it, was there anything that you wanted to like mention that stuck out to you a little bit that you wanted to have a therapy session and talk about it? Cause we're on a <laughs> podcast and that's what we do. Um, a therapy session. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Oh, we didn't even talk about Derek, the director. Oh, yes. Actually, that is a great thing to bring up if we're having therapy sessions. Oh, boy. 
it just like, I mean, we have all, I think, I don't know, maybe not all of us, but specifically, I think women in musical theater have all dealt with this type of a director before. Uh Um, (laughs) Someone who is, first of all, (laughs) emotionally manipulative and then also absolutely harassment (laughs) just you know the casting couch sort of um trope that gets played and I think in a lot of behind the scenes type of stories about the acting world whether it be theater or um tv and film that's always a big like stereotype that gets brought up which is absolutely happens um yes but it's just so interesting seeing how they kind of glossed over it in a way they didn't really he didn't really get in trouble for it he does later on well let's but put even a then. pin in that because <laughs> <laughs> obviously Derek comes back for season two but how do you feel about his directing style where he he sounded like he was drunk half the time and yelling at everyone <laughs> yeah I don't know how effective that was <laughs> Yeah, it, and it's very interesting, too, to see, because he's supposedly supposed to be the choreographer as well. Um, yeah, which, <laughs> I, I wished they had scenes of him dancing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen him actually, you know, he always has his assistant show the choreography, but he's the choreographer. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a mess of a character. He, I mean, he makes it, <laughs> he makes it very interesting, I dislike how they, a lot of the characters, I would say, put Ivy at fault for their relationship or made her out to be like this conniving, like snake who slept with the director so that she could get this part. But he is not at fault at all for that. It is just, it's, it's a very interesting thing, like idea that back at, the time when this came out in like 2012 we weren't really at that point of like me too um that whole era where this just this type of thing wouldn't necessarily fly if it was on tv now right like you said we're supposed to think that ivy is the the villainess here and karen is obviously the ingenue good girl and she's the one that says no right she turned advances. him down but then she's still in the show and blah 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 but i like i said i would love to see him especially do something like the national pastime yes <laughs> do, do part of that dance just like just just tap your toes do a little something something <laughs> absolutely <laughs> we're like can you um demonstrate the choreo for us real quick <laughs> <laughs> okay who would you cast for the out-of-town tryout out of Karen Cartwright and Ivy Lynn? Oh, based I... On, based on talent, not based on their story. Uh, 100%, I'm going to go with Ivy Lynn. Great. She's absolutely, I mean, she looks the part, and specifically when you are talking about an iconic person like Marilyn Monroe, yes, you're going to want somebody who can perform the role well acting wise and singing wise but also they have to look like Marilyn she looks like her she's shorter she's curvy like she has more of that classic Marilyn look that I would if I was directing I would want to see someone like that playing the role 
and we can see that she has she has that ooh ah ooh voice with yes. when it comes to Marilyn. <laughs> I would cast her because Ivy's got a good belt. I'm not sure if that's what's needed for the show, but I love a good belt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> Who doesn't like a good belt? Absolutely. I mean, she is she's one of the queens of like <laughs> just park and bark. I'm going to belt my face off. But also, because she is a former Glinda in Wicked, she can sing the high soprano stuff too. Oh, I yeah. So I love that as a also a, someone who sings soprano and can also belt. She's, you know, one of my Broadway heroes. <laughs> and then we also have little baby Leslie Odom Jr. in this. Yes, yes. Far before all of the Hamilton fame. Ah, uh, way before. But <laughs> he he doesn't get introduced until like episode six or something, if I remember correctly. So yes. we have to wait a while for Sir Leslie. <laughs> we do, we do. Yeah. He ends up being a pretty important character in season I would say. Well, in season one, he seems to be the only person that backs up Ivy. Yes. And then he comes back in season two and is a very big character. But <laughs> yeah, in season one, he definitely is always in her corner. Whether the other the other two little uh, actors that are like me, me, me to Karen, they flip between the two women, uh, depending on who's more popular at the time. Ugh. Right. <laughs> but that's just the way that it's, the show is written. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to bring up? No, I mean, I think I we've discussed, obviously, all of the different... I, I appreciated how they used real uh, Broadway actors for this, yes. for the most part. They cast people who have actually worked in the industry. Um, and even, even down to the dancers, the ensemble that was cast were also working actors in New York. So... And they filmed it in New York, which I appreciated because a lot of times things are not filmed in New York because it's expensive and difficult to arrange. But um, Cough season four and five of Glee. Cough, cough, cough. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But that is something that I really loved, though it was interesting to see. I mean, yes, in a sense, if you are working in, in that area in the theater district in Times Square, you might go to uh, Shake Shack every once in a while, but that's not going to be your lunch every day, especially as a Broadway performer. <laughs> but I loved it. No. They were like, we're going to get fries at Shake Shack every episode. <laughs> Advertising. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, this is a fun little, like, good job, Shake Shack. You got that ad in there. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk. Let's do a segment that I like to call Sharp and flat flat so in this section we're going to mention moments that we liked and that's sharp and if we didn't like it it's flat uh do you have a sharp moment in this in season one yes i think probably I think it was the final episode of the season, the, the season, season finale, where they start off with everybody running around backstage and they, it's like, yes, they're getting ready for that, um, for the preview. 
And we don't know up to that point who has been given the role of Marilyn because the Rebecca Duvall has left. She had her whole peanut allergy. Oh my God, we didn't even talk about her. (laughs) That was another thing that I was like, oh no, Uma Thurman, why? (laughs) Oh, Uma Thurman. But like, you know that the character knew that she wasn't the greatest. Yes. Yeah. Uma Thurman with her long ass legs and everything popping up. And it's just like, oh, hey, Uma. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, oh, wow. We love this little arc for you. Um, Yeah. So that whole drama had happened with the peanut allergy and she leaves the show. And so they're trying to decide who to replace her with, whether they give it to Karen, who is the understudy, or they ask Ivy to step up because she's done it already. Yeah, so I love that whole moment of them running backstage and they, Tom and Julia walk up to whoever it is and they say, break a leg, you're going to be great. And then they go through the whole episode like it's a, they go back in time and sort of play up the whole day's events. And then you get to the end and you realize they gave it to Karen. I loved that. That I thought that was such a cool way to reveal that and kind of save it for the very end. That was like one of the few moments where they broke that we're doing realism, clearly. Like, because the way that it was being told was more TV than like a documentary, if you will. Mm -hmm. For me, my shark is whatever plane of existence Angelica Houston is on. (laughs) Every scene that she's in, she's got the brightest smile and she's... You can tell she's having the time of her life saying nonsense and garbage. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yes Angelica Houston, give me more. The, and the drama of her throwing a drink in Jerry's face in <laughs> almost every episode is just <laughs> pure perfection. Like just that's exactly what you want to see from Angelica Houston is just like, I'm throwing a drink in your face. Goodbye, Jerry. Like, it's so good. <laughs> it's amazing and i'm just so happy that they cast her in this and she doesn't sing at all in this season and i'm okay with that i'm okay no what not everyone has to sing but like oh my god she needed like a mink or some or a fur stole or something just to make it even better yes i agree that would have been like perfection (laughs) all right what was flat what did what did what do you think is flat in this show? Oh, so hard because like I said, I am such a huge fan of it, so I kind of like let things slide that maybe not everybody would. <laughs> but I think personally for me, just kind of the entire idea that uh, of the the timeline of how quickly it moved mm-hmm. was maybe it just felt oh this isn't real like or at least how this say some, or at least say something like three months later and they're still like there's still in rehearsal or so, like give us a little more of a time definition you know like yes not so rapid but like start it in the winter and then have it be in the summer and be like oh now we're gonna do the out-of-town tryouts and things like that yeah. That's still a little fast, but it's not as fast. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I guess maybe one other thing would be the way that 
the relationship between Karen and her boyfriend Dev kind of deteriorated throughout the Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just and this happens a lot with like people who are actors and the other person in the relationship isn't a performer or an actor where they get so like I can't believe you didn't show up for this dinner because you stayed at rehearsal or yeah just like not supportive and there's there's a balance I think that can be struck with with being in this business and being in a relationship it there are times that it's going to be a push and pull and you have to understand that you're going to have to sacrifice time with that person sometimes because that's just the nature of the business and if you can't handle that then like bye I think the worst though is when he sleeps with Ivy because he's heard her he's heard his girlfriend and almost fiance complain about Ivy for a year. Does it take place? Does it take place in the course of a year? Does it take place in the course of three weeks? Who knows? But <laughs> Who he's, say? he's heard his girlfriend ta- like complain about her. And then he goes and sleeps with her. That's when I was just like, all right, clearly yeah. you, you want to be written out of the show. <laughs> right. He was like, I only signed on for this one season. I'm not going back. <laughs> I'm out. Good luck guys. <laughs> Are you done with flats? Because I have, yeah. I have, a, I have a few. Um, <laughs> I didn't like the Ivy popping pills because mm-hmm. it just it felt a little too Valley of the Dolls for me, and I was just like, "This has got to go." And too on the nose for a Maryland storyline. Yes. I also didn't like Leo Houston, which I mentioned earlier, the son, and then fucking Ellis. <laughs> oh God, Ellis. He straight up almost murders somebody and nothing happens to him. And then he just disappears. He and just, then he, he just like, he's poof, gone. gone. <laughs> he's like, another one that was like, I'm only doing one season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you wanted drama and I was it. Bye. <laughs> like, oh my God. And then I also didn't like how the show was shouting without actually them saying that this is realism. Mm-hmm. Give me, you, you have people, I mean, you. we're in a land of musicals. <laughs> give me fan, give me some fantasy. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, like you want to talk about a marriage ending? Great. Have a musical montage about with it too, while you're <laughs> at it. Sure. Like we can go there. We can yeah. have a whole like breakdown scene of them breaking up and like, singing sadly like out a window while it's raining <laughs> yeah you can you can be dear evan hansen about it like absolutely have a have a sad musical number and but like <laughs> make make it music <laughs> and speaking of music i have another segment well more of a question rebecca i'm gonna yes. ask you this would you add any well okay not would you i know you would um, out of all the songs in season one, which ones would you add to your life's playlist? Mm. I think I would go with definitely Let Me Be Your Star. That's okay. like iconic. <laughs> I mean, I said the and, same thing too, so let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I had another one, maybe Let's Be Bad. Oh, um, there's like... I want to say there's 30 songs in this first season. So you have as many as you want to choose from. 
There's so many. I mean, let's be bad. Um, history is made at night. So basically, all the bombshell songs. Yeah, I, I just like <laughs> if that show were to be made into an actual Broadway musical, I would be first in line to get tickets for when it's produced. <laughs> oh, well, for me, I said, uh, "Don't for, uh, uh, let me be your star," and then "Don't forget me," because mm-hmm. uh, as much as I like to relive that one scene in Legally Blonde where she throws bonbons at the TV uh, screaming that this is not realistic when they when she sings don't forget me I am crying my eyes out oh yes it was like I won't forget you Marilyn (laughs) Um, that that sequence is gorgeous it's so good and then again that's well obviously we know who's playing it at playing Marilyn at the out of the opening of the out of town but like that is the song that they wrote in five seconds and she knows it uh, magically but whatever (laughs) in a sense that does sort of happen where they'll have they'll write a new song or change lyrics or things the during the day and rehearse it and then put it into the show that next night um while you're in previews or out of town tryouts so that That was an interesting concept to add in that people people who aren't familiar with the industry may not know that that happens fun fact shows are not frozen until it opens on broadway correct and then when you do the revival that's when you can fix things Mm -hmm. that didn't work the first time (laughs) but once the show is opened it's frozen you cannot touch it Mm mm-hmm according to contracts and things like that we did it <laughs> we did an episode we did the first episode Rebecca, so do you have anything you want to like plug or promote do you want people to follow you in your personal social medias or whatever sure. um you can follow me on instagram um if you have tiktok I'm also on TikTok. Um, I do some singing and things on there, but it's um, my name on both Instagram and TikTok is it's Becca Ellen. So at it's Becca Ellen. Um, Ooh, I'm too yeah. old for TikTok, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I'm too old for it too, but I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I'm such an old lady. <laughs> if you guys want to follow this podcast, um, you can on. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at but a song pod. And if you want to email me about your thoughts and feelings about season one of Smash, uh, you can at but but a song pod at gmail.com. That is B-U-T-A-S-O-N-G-P-O-D at gmail.com. I'm not gonna spell it. It's easy. It's <laughs> but a song. Um, and then you guys can also Weigh in on, like, what you want to see in the future for this podcast. And obviously, next episode is season two. We're going <laughs> to... We have to finish this conversation. Oh, yes. And, and say things that we've been holding back. Because I I can speak for myself. There were things that I wanted to talk about. But I was just like, oh, that's season two. Fuck. <laughs> Absolutely. I have so many thoughts. I'm so excited for season two. <laughs> Great. So let's finish season one and go out with a song. I don't know. Or just say goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. 
And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.